Greetings to all of you. I want to welcome all of us at Center Street Church, those of us joining online as well as those watching us from one of our campuses in Northwest Calgary, Bridgeland, and Airdrie. I'm continuing our sermon series from the Gospel of Matthew as we're looking at the kingdom parables of Jesus. Now, as you read the Gospels, you will find Jesus was a remarkable storyteller. He used parables as the primary means of communicating spiritual truths. Contrary to our popular understanding, Jesus didn't use parables just to simplify everything. The purpose was not to break it down so common people can grasp what he is saying. The parables of Jesus are meant to unsettle us. There's usually an unexpected twist in his stories that goes against the norm. Jesus intentionally challenged people's presuppositions. Now, if we have a neat conception of God and we think we've figured this all out, the parables will mess with your mind. They force you to re-examine your convictions Today we're going to look at a parable with so many twists and turns that it has all the makings of a Hollywood movie. It involves a king and his son, a grand wedding celebration, invitations galore. Then there is rejection, cold-blooded murder, destruction of cities, and questionable guests who get thrown out of the party. This parable highlights the varying responses of people to God's generous invitation to be part of his kingdom. I'm going to ask you all, wherever you're watching this, to stand as we honor the reading of God's word from Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 to 14. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. And he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. And the king told the attendants, Tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. 
Would you join me in prayer? Lord, our hearts are open to hear what you have to say. We're grateful, Lord, for your generous heart and how you extend an invitation to every person in this world to come to Jesus and experience the freedom and the forgiveness that he alone can bring. I pray today that even as you use this sermon to extend that invitation once again, many will be able to respond to what you have to say. We give this time into your hands, minister to us in the power of your spirit. We ask this in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. You know, around this time last year, an 11-year-old boy from Newfoundland became famous all over Canada. It was his birthday, and being a Toronto Maple Leafs fan, he planned for a Maple Leafs-themed birthday party. But the problem was no one showed up at his home. None of his friends bothered to come. They completely ignored his invitation. The kid celebrated his birthday all alone. And that, I tell you, can be heartbreaking. The boy's father tweeted on social media these words. My son Cade had his 11th birthday party last night. None of his invited friends came. and That hurt. Now, I'm asking my Twitter friends to show him some love today. If you have a minute, please send him a birthday wish. The dad had a picture of little Cade with his birthday cake. 11-year-old Cade, who had no one at his birthday party, this lonely kid, all of a sudden became a Canadian sensation. Maple Leafs hockey star Mitch Marner responded to the post. Your friends from the Maple Leafs have a surprise gift coming your way. The original tweet from the dad also became the number one trending topic on Twitter in the country. This incident was on the news, the talk of breakfast shows, and there were 25,000 birthday wishes for Cade, including messages from the Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and actor Ben Stiller. So from a lonely kid who had no friends, all of a sudden, Cade turned into the coolest kid on the block. A Jesus' parable also talks about an invitation that initially had no response, but later there is a flood of responses. And this is not some unknown person doing a birthday celebration, but this is the king throwing a lavish party on behalf of his son who's getting married. And shockingly, no one responds to his invitation at first. They shun the king and outrightly insult him. Because of their rejection, they bring judgment upon themselves and the invitation goes to others who are not in the original guest list. Now, if you place this parable in its original context, it happens during the final week of Jesus' life as he enters Jerusalem, where he will be later crucified. The religious authorities, the Pharisees and Sadducees, fiercely oppose Jesus. And the parables of Jesus in this section of Scripture are an indictment against the religious leaders. 
you can say that the ones who rejected the invitation outrightly are the Jewish leaders and the Jewish nation as a whole as they failed to receive Jesus as their Messiah. And then the invitation now goes to all people, Jews and Gentiles, to become part of God's kingdom. Now this parable is not just about Jews and Gentiles, but I also see here how people today respond to the gospel. We can see snapshots here of varying responses to God's invitation to be part of his kingdom. Now look at verses 2 and 3 of our text. The kingdom of heaven, like the, all the kingdom parables begin with the same phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. The king here clearly is a reference to God the Father. And the son in the parable is a reference to Jesus. The wedding banquet symbolizes the messianic banquet, the great feast that will take place at the end of time when Jesus comes back for his bride. The wedding guests in those times were notified in advance and a second invitation would be sent to confirm the exact date and time. The people who had received the advance notification now receive here a second invitation. Come and celebrate the royal wedding. And our text here says the people refused to come. The word there literally means they were unwilling to come. Do you know what would be a modern day equivalent of this? Do you remember Prince Harry and Meghan Markle's wedding? All the media attention and the hype surrounding it. Let's say you get a phone call from the queen and she says, I want you at the royal wedding. You will have a choice seat assigned with your name on it. Your presence will make this occasion all the more special. Now, would you turn down that invitation? Would you say to the queen, Ah, that's awfully kind of you, but I'm just not interested. No. And ironically, what we see in Jesus' parable is the people turn down the elite invitation to be part of the royal wedding. Not because of any legit reason, but they were simply unwilling. Now that attitude signifies, leave me alone. I don't want anything to do with you. This is how some people today respond to the gospel. The problem is not that they don't understand the gospel message. The problem is they are unwilling it is a willful decision on their part. I want nothing to do with God. Please leave me alone. So they made up their mind and no amount of reasoning can change their decision. And I tell you, that is a dangerous place to be in. Because when your heart is closed, when you're repeatedly turning down the invitation, and God may actually walk away from you. And I tell you, that is tragic. 
And when you read this parable, you may perceive the king in this story to be harsh. He destroys the city in order to inflict punishment. And later he gets upset with someone who shows up without the wedding costume. You may wonder, is this a reference to God the Father? That just doesn't seem right. But the original audience of Jesus would beg to differ. Instead of seeing the king as harsh, they would have perceived him to be extremely magnanimous and gracious. The people defiantly expressed their lack of interest, snubbed the king by not responding to his invitation. But the king is not giving up on them. He is extending them another chance. That is radical. And look at verse 4. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. This kind of attitude was unheard of. The king is very patient. He's extending another chance. He's imploring the guests to come even though they are unwilling. He sends more servants to appeal to them why they should join this banquet. They describe the kind of feast that awaited them, the food that is all prepared and ready. You have sizzling prime rib steak and tenderloin waiting for you on the grill. The choices of food and drink. This is the best celebration ever. Come to the banquet. And now look at their response in verse 5. This is how the people respond. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his field, another to his business. You know, earlier we saw the same guests were unwilling. They rejected the invitation. And now as you look at their response, you see apathy. And the text says they paid no attention. It means they didn't care. They were busy with their own affairs of life that they despised their loyalty to the king. The trivial stuff of life consumed all their attention they had no time for anything else and i tell you that is another way people today respond to the gospel god's invitation to be part of his kingdom people say i would like to come to church but my weekends are busy oh i would like to serve but my schedule is so full. I'm in a busy season right now. I have to cut down on things. So when my life is less busy, perhaps I'll have time for God. A spiritual apathy is a disease that is so widespread in North America and reflective of our culture. Oh, people like the idea of having God in their back pocket so when they need help, they can call on Him. But they insist on living life their own way. That is a common response to the gospel. Being apathetic or indifferent. Friend, 
Don't ever try to work God into your schedule. Work your schedule around God. You don't just add God as one more item in your already crowded agenda, but you give him the first place. Make him the very center, for he will have it no other way. As we continue with our parable, we see the response of the guests now turn violent. Look at verses 6 and 7 of our text. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Now, not only were those invited expressing rejection and apathy, some of them now turn hostile. They mistreat the servants who are ambassadors of the king and even kill them. This could be applied to the hostility the gospel is facing in various circles in the world today. Some people engage in verbal persecution. They attack the church. They attack any reference to God. They make a mockery of the Christian faith. The secular media does this all the time. The deep prejudices that we see against some of the conservative Christian values in our world today is appalling. And in a world where every group seems to be claiming, I am being discriminated, what people conveniently overlook is the extent of discrimination Christians face when they adhere to the teachings of the Bible. Who would talks about that in our world today? There may be people in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your schools and universities, and even in your own family who are hostile to Christian values. They have no qualms in expressing their anger against God and against you for being a follower of Jesus Christ. We also hear all around the world the increase in global persecution of Christians. The fierce opposition against God's people and the attempt to hinder the growth of God's kingdom. As we look at the future, one can only expect these oppositions to continue. If there's anything, it's going to get worse. Now, our text says, when his servants were being mistreated and killed, the king was enraged. He tolerated the personal insult. He was willing to put up with that apathy. He was okay with being cold-shouldered and treated with disdain. But when they lay hands on his people and hurt them, the king was enraged. He couldn't take it any further. And I tell you, nothing makes God more furious than the persecution of his people. When Christian women are raped, when pastors are being threatened and beaten, when churches are being burnt, and when God's people are being slandered, mocked, and insulted, God takes notice of that and will not remain silent. It results in the outpouring of God's wrath 
something that we don't like to talk about. We hide it as though it is a defect in God's character. We don't want to offend people. But the wrath of God is an essential Christian doctrine. Fleming Rutledge in her great book, The Crucifixion, Understanding the Death of Jesus Christ, points out the wrath of God is not an emotion that flares up from time to time as though God had temper tantrums. It is a way of describing his absolute enmity against all wrong and his come to set matters right. So the wrath of God is on display against those who are hostile to the gospel. The description here in the parable of the city being destroyed speaks of God's just judgment that falls on those who reject his invitation. To refuse God's invitation is no ordinary matter and the ones who reject it find this out the hard way. Now look at verses 8 and 9 to see an interesting twist in the parable. And he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. Here's a clear description of God's mission. He's looking for wedding guests who can celebrate with him. He does not like an empty banquet hall, heaven with just a handful of people. God's heart is to reverse human destiny and populate heaven. So he commissions his people to bring as many into the fold. Go to every nook and corner and invite people to the great wedding banquet. There's a sense of urgency here as the servants spread far and wide to bring as many people as they can to the banquet. Now the term evangelism gets a bad rap and we have all kinds of negative connotations. But picture it this way. It is like inviting people to a joyful wedding feast. That is the task of the church today. Evangelism is in the job description of every single church. We exist to invite others to the wedding feast. Telling people that the pleasures that they are looking for are not found in the things of the world, but the fulfillment that they are seeking is found in the feast that God offers us. And I tell you, this message is so applicable to a world that we are living today that is drowning in gloom and doom and feelings of negativity. The fear of mental wellness is Huge, probably bigger than the threat of COVID. And if ever there is a time to shine the gospel light, this is it. And our mission as God's people, our commitment as a church has not changed no matter what the times. We invite people to experience life abundant and full that is found only in Jesus Christ. 
Now in our parable, there's a remarkable response to the servants as they go and invite these people from everywhere in the city. The wedding hall is now filled with guests. There's great anticipation for the feast to begin. Now this will be a well-loved parable if all things just go smoothly, that the guests have a great time and everybody enjoys the party and then they are all happy ever after. Not so. Now comes yet another twist in the story. And Jesus does that at the very end in so many of his parables just to unsettle you and make his point. Now look at verses 11 and 12. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. He had no response. Here's something you need to know. Culturally, it was customary in those days for the royalty to send the wedding clothes along with the invitation. So the people were expected to dress up and no one could offer any excuse because the king has decided on the garment and made provision for it. But there was a wedding guest at that banquet who didn't get the dress code menu or memo. So he arrives in flip-flops and shorts. He's totally underdressed and forgets the significance of the event and gets into big-time trouble. What is Jesus trying to communicate here? The wedding garment is the garment of righteousness that is imputed to us as we place our faith in Christ. Now look at a verse in the book of Revelation that clarifies this. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And what happened? All these people standing before the Lamb in heaven, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. Later, the text goes on to say They were wearing white robes because they have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. See, there's only one way to enter the wedding feast. One way to life abundant and full. And it is to trust in Jesus. For that moment when an individual places their faith in Jesus Christ, an incredible transaction takes place. The dirty garments of sin that we have are replaced with the righteousness of Christ. There is an exchange, a trade-off that happens. Jesus takes the punishment for our sins and we in turn receive his righteousness. The wedding guest wearing a costume of his own in the parable signifies self-righteousness. A person striving to be acceptable before God by their own good deeds. They're religious on the outside, 
but they don't understand the concept of grace. It is their own individual attempt to earn their favor with God. And I tell you, that is yet another way people respond to God's invitation to the gospel. They try the path of good works that will somehow lead them to heaven. God has determined this, that the only way any person can make it to heaven is not by our own merit, but by trusting in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Now, at the very end of this parable, Jesus gives us the main point that he's trying to drive home. Look at verse 14. For many are invited, but few are chosen. The invitation is wide open to all. Does not matter your ethnicity, background, culture, lifestyle, economic standards. This is a wide open invitation that is extended to all people. Come, don't hesitate. If you need forgiveness, if you need a new life, if you need purpose, if you need a personal relationship with God, come. Many are invited but few are chosen. What that means is the invitation goes to all, but not many respond the way that they are intended to. For some are outrightly unwilling. They want nothing to do with God. Some are apathetic. They are indifferent to the things of God. There are ones who are hostile and they persecute the ones who bring the good news. And there are countless others who rely on religion and their self-efforts to earn their way to heaven. So all these are varying responses to the gospel that fall short of God's high standards. But those of us who respond to God's invitation rightly by placing our faith in Jesus and relying on the grace of God, the Bible says, I has not seen, ear has not heard, or the human mind even conceived the things that God has in store for those who love him. As we come to an end, let me ask you once again, what is your response to God's great invitation to participate in this incredible feast the world has ever seen? Have you RSVP'd? Have you let God know that you are coming to the party? I want to maintain a moment of silence for you to reflect on this question. How have you responded to the invitation. Maybe you see yourself in one of those categories that fall short of God's standards. And I want you to know God is being very patient in extending you yet another opportunity. And this is the time for you to say, Lord, I say yes to your invitation. I am all in. 
But you maintain a moment of silence and allow the Holy Spirit of God to minister to you and to solidify the decision that you're making today. And after a moment of silence, I'll pray for us. Lord, our hearts are humbled. And you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, would reach out to us with this invitation to be part of a royal wedding. That great day when we will see Jesus face to face, returning back for his bride. I pray for every person who heard this message today that they will respond to you with great excitement, that they will be able to cast themselves fully on you, Jesus, the work that you have done for them on the cross, that it is not by anything that we have done, but by your grace we are saved through faith. So I pray for that experience to be a, a reality, that Lord be not just receive this invitation, but we live the rest of our life with anticipation to that great day when our faith will become sight. So we give ourselves to you, Jesus. Carry us now by your grace, by the strength of your spirit, as we eagerly await your second coming. And we pray this in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.